This is Weekly Signals Interviews, broadcasting every Tuesday morning, 8 to 9, Pacific Time on KUCI 88.9 FM, Irvine, California, on the web at KUCI.org. I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Kaspar. In his new book, Beyond Bogota, Diary of a Drug War Journalist in Colombia, our guest today, Gary Leach, reports firsthand the conditions that have garnered international attention in that country, widespread human rights abuses, collusion between government soldiers and paramilitaries, and the consequences of American involvement in the region. Leach has spent the last eight years as an independent journalist in Colombia. He is the editor of the Columbia Journal, author of Crude Interventions and Killing Peace, and a lecturer in the Department of Political Science at Cape Britain University in Nova Scotia. Gary Leach, welcome to Weekly Signals. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Nathan. Well, thanks for uh, being with us. How are you doing today? What's it like in Nova Scotia? It's cold. <laughs> cold, snowy, and icy. Yeah? Uh, do you like a little it different th- than Colombia. I just got back yesterday from Colombia, actually, well, where it was much warmer. Yeah, I mean, that... Uh, First of all, just just thanks for doing what you do. Yeah. Uh, you you do an invaluable job there. Uh, there's not enough reporting there, and and I know it it's not exactly a, a a safe job. Could you can you talk a little bit about that? What what sort of dangers you face when you are uh, investigating in Colombia? Well, yeah, most of the work I do, in fact, nearly all my work is in the rural conflict zones, yeah. because most of the mainstream journalists. The, the wire service correspondents, the big dailies, New York, po- uh, New York Times, Washington Post, they, most of their reporting is done from the capital, Bogota, which is relatively safe. And, yeah. and as a result, they primarily present the official perspective because they rely, overly rely on government sources, embassy sources. So I decided when I, eight years ago when I was going to work in Colombia that the conflict is going on in the rural regions. The the drug trade uh, production and coca cultivations in the rural regions, and the war on drugs is being waged in the rural regions, not in the cities. So I decided that's where I'm going to do my work, and uh, and it, it is risky because it is it is a war zone. And for example, Colombian journalists rarely venture into those areas because thirty more than thirty Colombian journalists have been killed in the last ten years. Uh, uh, luckily, they haven't killed any foreign journalists. They've, uh, we've received threats. I've received threats and been detained several times by armed groups and interrogated. But but uh, we have a certain immunity that Colombian journalists don't seem to have, and so I think we have a greater responsibility to report on these things in the countryside. But wherever you report from, you're in territory that's controlled either by the, the Colombian army, by right-wing paramilitary groups, or leftist guerrillas. Now, now, the book itself is uh, actually uh, structured around uh, uh, when you were held in detention. Was it by FARC that you were held in detention? By? Yes. 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 And, yeah. and how, what, what was that like? I mean, what, why were they holding you? What had you been doing? Well, in, in August 2006, the Colombian government acquiesced to the Bush administration's repeated demands to start spraying, aerial spraying of, of coca crops being cultivated in, in national parks in Colombia, mm-hmm. uh, coca crops providing the raw ingredient for cocaine. And so the, the first spraying in a national park took place in August 2006 in La Macarena National Park, and I, no foreign journalist or no, no journalist at all 
went to investigate uh, this. So I decided I'm going to go into the region to investigate it. And when I entered the region, which was completely uh, controlled by the, the leftist FARC guerrillas, uh, they seized me and detained me and wanted to know what I was doing there. And for the for the next 11 hours, I was held in, on a remote farm at gunpoint by them while, while they decided or their commanders decided what to do with me. So it was a pretty terrifying 11 hours, uh, and more so than previous detentions, because I'd just become a father. I had a three-month-old uh, son named Owen. So uh, previous detentions, while nerve-wracking, it was always about, well, it's just about me. But, but this time, it, it raised yeah. a whole bunch of questions around, you know, what am I doing here? What, you know, is, is, should I be doing this now? I'm a father. What's my responsibility to my son? Am I setting a good example for him? Or, or is this irresponsible? And so there's a whole new level of fear yeah. uh, having a child, yeah. Yes, we're speaking with Gary Leach. The book is Beyond Bogota, Diary of a Drug War Journalist in Colombia. Now, now uh, that fear, though, did inspire this book. Am I, am I right about that? <laughs> exactly. The 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 difference between this book and, and previous books I've written is, is is in previous books it was just kind of a distant uh, third person analysis of the issues in Colombia and the U.S. role in Colombia. Uh, this is a very different book for me to write, where it's in the first person, and and I'm a protagonist in the story now because it's it's about my personal experiences in Colombia, and it was inspired uh, by that detention from the FARC because when I got out of there. Uh, I, I, you know, while I was there, I was wondering, well, if anything happens to me now or in the future in Colombia, my son Owen is not going to, uh, he's not going to know why his father did the type of work he did. What, you know, what led me to become a journalist covering the drug war in Colombia, and and what kind of work that was. So, I decided to start writing this down for him. And initially, it wasn't intended to be a book, but as it as a uh, I put it down on paper. I started thinking, actually, this this could make a pretty interesting book, and yeah. I pitched it to Beacon Press, and and they snapped it up. Uh, Gary Leach, um, what uh, what in fact was the effect of the uh, the spraying of the uh, cocoa crops in um, in Colombia? It's absolutely devastating, and and since Plant Colombia was initiated in 2000, it, it's escalated dramatically the amount of the amount of fumigations that that the U.S. is doing down there, and it's chemicals. It's a chemical concoction that that's never been approved for use in the United States, and and when the planes come in, well, first off, Black Hawk helicopters come in, and and soldiers on there shoot up all around the farms to ensure there's no guerrillas to shoot at the spray planes. Now these farms, these are just. Uh, poor Colombian peasants who are growing coca in order to survive because it's the only viable cash crop in these remote rural regions in Colombia where there's no infrastructure that allows them to get food crops to distant markets. And 85% of uh, Colombians living in the countryside live in poverty. So they, they turn to coca as, as their only means of survival. And so they get they come in, the helicopters, they shoot up all these farms, and then the spray planes come in, and they spray. But they don't spray only coca. They also spray the food crops, because most of these peasant farmers uh, uh, grow their own subsistence food crops. And not only do they spray the food crops, but also the actual houses, which are just simple wooden shacks, as well as the people, including the children. Mm-hmm. So what you end up with after the spraying is completed is not only the coke has been fumigated, but they've also had all their food crops uh, killed, 
and and the children especially a lot of children having a lot of sicknesses from the chemicals being sprayed on them so it's absolutely devastating and it's led to a lot of displacement of people and the sad thing is they just go deep into the rainforest cut down more rainforest and replant coca it's just it's a let's let's get into a little bit of a, a sort of a brief overview of the history of Colombia and uh, and how it evolved or how it became uh, a, uh, a country so enmeshed in in the cocaine trade. Yeah, it's it's had uh, its share of civil wars ever since it, it gained independence in 1820. Uh, but the, the cocaine trade emerged in the 70s. And as that emerged throughout the 70s and 80s, uh, primarily it was processing of cocaine and then trafficking out of Colombia, most of the coca cultivation was taking place in Peru and Bolivia. But in the 90s, that uh, coca cultivation increased in Colombia, particularly in guerrilla-controlled regions. So that the, the conflict there, the civil conflict that's gone on for over 40 years, escalated as a result of that, because both the leftist guerrillas, the right-wing paramilitaries, were all profiting from some aspects of the drug trade. And so their military strength just got... Uh, just evolved dramatically in the 90s. So the U.S. responded in 2000 with Plan Colombia. And it's supposed to be a counterinsurgency uh, uh, strategy. And the, the objective of Plan Colombia was to reduce coca cultivation in Colombia by 50% in five years. We're now eight years into Plan Colombia, and according to the U.S. government's own statistics, there is more coca being cultivated today than there was in 2000 when we launched Plan Colombia. So okay, so I want I want these things they, they're sort of colliding uh, ideas here. On one hand, we're spraying uh, people who are out trying to make a living, and unfortunately, the the most available cash crop that they can grow in order to support their family is something that is going to uh, bring violence unto their lives. But at the same time, we have more production. Uh, is this because this is there a game being played here where the paramilitary and the FARC are protected in some way, or the paramilitaries are protected in the production of of these of the coca, and that's how this is happening? How there's more production out of Colombia? Well, the Colombian national government has never controlled all of the national territory okay. since the country got independence. So there's regions where the FARC. The FARC controls about 20 to 30 percent of the national territory. The right-wing paramilitaries work hand-in-glove with the U.S.-backed Colombian military. And so all, all the players are involved in the drug trade in some way or another. And the, the problem is that as the government and the Colombian military try and uh, retake territory from the FARC, the paramilitaries just move into that territory and take over the drug trade there. And so... Uh, the reason, though, we plan Colombia, we keep giving uh, over half a billion dollars a year to Colombia, which, by the way, is the third largest recipient in military aid since 2000, after Israel and Egypt. Right. But the reason we keep giving them this money, even though it's failing miserably as a counter-narcotics initiative, is because it is proving successful as a counterinsurgency initiative. And, and in recent years, the FARC have been pushed back to more and more remote regions. So Plan Colombia has actually uh, more deeply integrated the United States into the civil conflict in Colombia uh, while failing miserably to, to actually re, uh, have any effect on the amount of cocaine coming to the United States. It's militarized uh, what was already a terrible civil civil war is that would that be fair to say made it even even more 
uh, violent and and uh, deadly yeah. for, the, for the population. Exactly, because because on, on average, seventy five percent of of U.S. aid under Plan Columbia every year since two thousand has been to the Colombian military. There's been very little for social and economic uh, development, and so. This is what a lot of critics of Plan Colombia are saying, that as long as we don't figure out a way to provide viable economic alternatives to rural Colombians, uh, they're just going to keep replanting coca and will never, will never successfully address the issue by militarily, militarily targeting it at the source. This is why the European Union and European nations uh, voted uh, overwhelmingly to not participate in Plan Colombia because of its dependence on a military solution rather than addressing the, the social and, and economic causes that, of, of rural poverty in Colombia. And, and as long as, until we address that, they will always just simply replant, replant. And that's, this is the reason why Plan Colombia has, has failed to reduce the amount of cocoa cultivation. Well, now, uh, I've noticed on your website, which is... Uh ColumbiaReports.com? Yeah, ColumbiaJournal.org, actually. Well, okay. There is a, there's another website based in Medellin, Columbia, called Columbia Reports, who okay. did an article. Sorry on about the, that. Yeah, that, that must yeah. be what I was... ColumbiaJournal.org. Sorry about yeah. that. But okay. I, I did see a, a posting <clears throat> of a uh, article uh, just this morning, The New Face of Plan Columbia, an Alliance for Progress for the 21st Century, and it talks about uh, PCIM, another project there to essentially do the same thing to eradicate cocaine but but manually the, and it's, it seems like that might be working a lot better than the previous plan am i right about that oh yeah this is really interesting because i just i just spent uh, 10 days in colombia and got back yesterday uh -huh. and i had, i went out into this rural region in east of colombia actually to 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 investigate something completely different and i stumbled across this story uh -huh. uh, and I had never heard of, of the PCIM. It's a, it's a government from the office of the Colombian president to, to consolidate control of territory in this region. And this was actually a pilot project. And nobody knew about it. No, no one who work, uh, works on Colombia, no journalists, no experts in Washington, D.C. It's been completely under the radar, and I stumbled on it by accident. And the Colombian army tried repeatedly to stop me from going into this region to investigate this once I discovered that something was happening here. And, and I, I insisted and insisted and finally got in there. And it was very different than what Plan Columbia had been because they, they're not fumigating. They're eradicating manually. But to do that, they had to secure control of the territory first so that these manual eradicators could go in. And the other thing they've done that Plan Columbia didn't do was they brought in other branches of the state besides just the military. So there's more than just a military presence. And they are uh, building infrastructure, uh, infrastructure, such as fixing the roads. They're bringing computers into the schools of these remote villages and connecting them to the Internet and uh, trying to better fund and provide alternative crops. So this was dramatically different. And then I got to these villages, though, that, and this one village in particular that I'd been in three years ago when it was FARC-controlled, uh, and... Back then, the economy was booming because of coca cultivation. And this village had five hotels, restaurants, stores, and it's just hustle and bustle every day. And then I go into it last week, and it's like a ghost town. 
All the hotels are closed, most of the stores, the businesses. And what I discovered from everyone I talked to there is that they'd rather be back where they were three years ago and that most of them that do remain don't believe they'll be there six months from now. And to give you an idea of the population decrease, it was over 400 people three years ago. They're down to 70 now in this one village. And the three reasons for the displacement, that uh, one is people sympathetic with the guerrillas fled when the army came in. But then the army came in, the paramilitaries came in with them and started targeting people. They, they, they assassinated four peasants. They gave death threats to others, including the, the mayor of the town who had to flee. And, and then the, the remainder uh, fled because once the Kuroko was eradicated, there was no economy. And the government's not providing them any subsidies to survive on while it takes three years for the new crops to, to actually start becoming productive. So, so between the kind of dirty war component of... of threatening the civilian population and, and instilling fear in them and still an inability to provide a viable alternative, at least in the near future, uh, there's serious questions about, about this program because ultimately if it succeeds, it will have only succeeded for less than 20% of the original population. 80% has still been displaced and are most likely planting coca deeper in the jungle. So, it, so you know, and uh, actually I... So when they, they realized I was going to report on this, they, they, the Colombian army actually then said that the head of the director of this whole project for the Colombian president wanted to interview me, and he said I was the first journalist that they've ever talked to about it, because at that point they realized now they can't keep it quiet anymore. But it's, it's, it's controversial because of this huge displacement, because Colombia has the second largest displaced population in the world after the Sudan. And this... Uh, whole new project is, isn't, doesn't seem to be benefiting the peasant population any more than the old aerial fumigations were. It's just causing massive displacement and human yeah. suffering. Well, I, I, I want to. I wanna, there's a lot of stuff, a lot of ground to cover. We're we're running a little short on time, but um, uh, is this a is this crazy to to uh, you start to look around the world and you look at Colombia and you look at Afghanistan. Uh, places where there's a heavy U.S. military presence, either by proxy or, or, or re in reality, and um, and yet it, these are the places where most of the illicit drugs of the world, or a high percentage of the illicit drugs, come from, um, and yet uh, we don't really try to we don't look at it that way. The, the fact that the U.S. military is is so heavily enmeshed in in Colombia and drug trade goes up. In Afghanistan, heroin trade goes up. Is, is there something that the American people don't know and should know about this? Well, that, and that's one of the reasons I wanted to write the book and, and, and again, make it more personal from my own personal experiences, because in covering the drug war down there, uh, there does seem to be a correlation, and that is we have a habit of looking for uh, military responses to what are essentially social and economic problems in these countries. And what we do when we go in militarily and try to solve it is we actually end up creating even worse social and economic conditions for people. And the drug trade is the most convenient and easiest way for them to survive. And so, yeah, I think that there is a correlation there. And so we go into Colombia militarily and we try 
again, a military solution. We try and use this kind of authoritarian approach that doesn't, doesn't address the core issues of the problem. And then I think we need to seriously sit back and reevaluate the way we're going to approach uh, these kind of problems. Because most of these problems are rooted in poverty and social inequality, and, and military responses uh, have repeatedly failed to address that, and that's why we've made no headway in the war on drugs. Well, well we, we, there's, there was the uh, Food for Peace or, of, uh, the, in the alliance for, um, back in the 60s, Kennedy's uh, initiative into South America, and it's just left my, my head. Um, Alliance for Progress. Alliance yes. for Progress. Yeah. Uh, basically, while it was perceived here in the United States as this program to help the South America gain some kind of economic um, uh, foothold, it in fact wiped out the uh, agriculture in most of South America because they were flooded with cheaper subsidized American food and unable to really compete in the marketplace. And that has a legacy that has, has, has remained for these last 40 years. Is that, is that, am I correct in that? Yes, exactly. And, and what, what we're seeing and going on in Latin America now, particularly in South America, with these new governments being elected in countries like Venezuela, Ecuador, Bolivia, is, is a kind of response to that legacy because the Alliance of Progress and that whole kind of food aid program, it then emerged into you know, free trade, free market economics, as a way to open these countries up, which has done the same thing. Uh, yeah. Mexico has been devastated under NAFTA because it's, it's destroyed the small corn farmer who have now, because they can't compete with the cheap subsidized products from the U.S., that uh, Mexico is importing its corn, and these farmers are now in poverty and, and struggling to survive. Uh, most of them have left their lands. And so that's what we're seeing with this emerging uh, opposition to the United States in South America, Hugo Chavez. It, it's not really U.S. His antagonism to him isn't because of, he's not democratic or he's right. too authoritarian. It's because he's challenging th- this model that, that, yeah, from the Alliance for Progress on, has, has actually hurt most people in Latin America rather than benefited them. Yeah. We had John Perkins on it, and he wrote a book, Confessions of a economic hitman and yeah, described this en- yeah. and, and described this entire uh, sort of operation. I have one quick question. Sort I got of, one oh, too. Go ahead, please. Oh, okay. I, I just want to, uh, do you see any indication for the Obama administration, any in, uh, indication from them that things are going to change in Colombia or at least with our, our uh, fumigation policy and, and our funding of that? Uh, sadly, I don't. And, and the reason is, is, Colombia is not going to be a high-priority issue, foreign policy issue for the Obama administration, so it's not something they're going to focus on closely. And the other thing is, Plan Colombia is a democratic initiative. It was, it was created and launched by the Clinton administration. So it's, a, it's one of the most bipartisan foreign policy initiatives that, that we have. And the Republicans are for it, and most of the Democrats are for it. I think we might see a little shift in aid from being 75-25 in favor of military to closer to 50-50 with social and economic aid, and a little more pressure on Colombian government and the Colombian military to improve its human rights situation. Both of those are good things, but they're just tweaking the same model. And uh, the free trade uh, agreement with Colombia, which is the, part of the economic component of Plan Colombia, uh, I do believe that the Obama administration will, will have that signed by the by the end of the year too. Uh, again, Colombia has become this ideological uh, ally of the United States in South America, surrounded by all these so-called 
you know, leftist leaders now. So I don't see any that's, significant shift under Obama. That's so troubling. Probably the most re- repressive regime in in South America today is our strongest ally. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. and and and, and this it, is so re, uh, you know we're so repeating our mistakes of uh, of the last hundred years that we always end up. Uh, supporting the most brutal, repressive regimes and the worst human rights abusers. You have to wonder. Real quick question, uh, going back to the early uh, days of the drug trade, uh, sort of the legend of Escobar, uh, um, who, uh, what was his first name? I'm sorry. Pablo. Pablo Escobar. And how his initial sort of drug operation was, for better and worse, uh, sort of a, a Robin Hood kind of operation. He did, in fact try to support uh, the, the villages or whatever. It was a brutal, obviously a brutal regime of drug trade, but he was much more among and of the people that he, he came from. And it was after he left in the 90s that it became a much more corporate-run uh, drug trade that you saw a lot of U.S. support for, for, for uh, Colombia. And I, I just I, I wonder about that connection. I wonder how that, you know, how that's played out. And obviously it's played out to the detriment in Colombia, but... Yeah, I think it's it's just it's it's the drug war and the drug trade is constantly shifting. And Pablo Escobar is, is revered as a folk hero in the the poor neighborhoods of Medellin, the city he was from, because he did spend millions and millions on housing and schools and all this stuff. And then on the other side of him, though, he was absolutely brutal, yeah. brutal to anyone who dared oppose him or get in his way. And but then the drug trade was much more. Concentrated. There was two big cartels, Medellin and Cali. But then when the U.S. drug war managed to dismantle him in the 90s and, and touting them as great success and they killed Pablo Escobar, uh, it, didn't actually, it didn't make a dent in the amount of cocaine coming to the United States because it splintered it. Now we have, we have dozens of micro-cartels now, and as you said, the paramilitaries, the guerrillas are more involved, so it's funding those armies. And we're funding and, them. Exactly. Uh, fun, through the paramilitaries and our drug use is funding uh, everyone in Colombia. Yeah, yeah, Gary, I just I, I keep thinking how how much of a uh, much more of a corporate business, a sort of a multinational business, it, it became after Cali and, and Escobar went away, uh, and how it, it uh, just it it feels it feels like we're running a drug protection operation in Colombia, not a drug eradication program. Well, I think it's both. I think it's you know it's contradictory. We we are targeting. Uh, coca crops and trying to eradicate it at its source, particularly in guerrilla controlled areas, which also makes the counterinsurgency component that serves our interests. Uh, but at the same time, the paramilitaries, who are the principal traffickers, are linked to the military that we are funding to supposedly fight drugs. Yeah. And, and I think the other key important thing here is. Uh, Plan Colombia has failed as a counter-narcotics initiative. It's working as a counter-insurgency, pushing the FARC back and reclaiming territory. Now, Colombia is being held up as an, uh, an example of a great economic growth and a booming economy with, from, for, you know, from a, a right-wing capitalist free market perspective. Uh, but most of the foreign investment in Colombia is in oil and mining. And that has only been allowed to happen now because of Plan Colombia. So it's actually served the interests of multinational corporations now who we now have access to Colombia's oil and coal. And Colombia is the number one foreign supplier of coal to the United States. And so this is why we keep 
persisting with Plan Colombia, even though it's failing to combat drugs, is, is that it's actually serving our political and economic interests. In the meantime, the largest, the greatest disparity between the rich and the poor in, in all of South America. So it's, exactly. a, it's a terrible, terrible situation. But you be safe uh, on, in all your travels. The book is Beyond Bogota, Diary of a Drug War. Journalist in Colombia, Gary Leach, thank you for joining us here on Weekly Signals. Thank you for having me. To learn more about Weekly Signals interviews, including upcoming guests, or to download the podcast, visit our website at weeklysignals.com. And be sure to visit nathancallahan.com for daily readings and feature articles. Until next week, I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Caspar. And this is Weekly Signals. Weekly Signals.